It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, the NBA season is back. Feels like it never ended. Who is good and who is bad? Helmets off is on. Alrighty, folks, welcome on into another episode of Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we love our show. We'd like to kind of, you know, peel off the helmet, the mask, whatever, get to know what, uh, I don't know, what I think about sports and different topics. And uh, we we interview people from time to time and get their their perspective on life. Uh, love doing this, been doing it for some time now. And uh, just really appreciate you tuning in. Got a fun show today. Of course, uh, Nick Rolovich was fired at Washington State for not getting a couple of shots. Look, I hate shots. I've hated shots my whole entire life. But, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. He must have a really good reason for not getting those shots. NFL trade deadline is coming up. Uh, is it suspenseful? Is it nerve-wracking? I'll tell you what I thought about it. And then, uh, of course, as I mentioned, the NBA season is upon us. Uh, lifelong Utah Jazz fan, love watching the NBA. A lot of really good uh, basketball going on. And, of course, I think a little bit shocking in that, uh, <clears throat> of course, the Milwaukee Bucks won a year ago. I, I'm not sure a lot of people saw that coming, but the Utah Jazz, whoo. Uh, they had the best record in the NBA last year during the regular season and had an early, I don't know if it's early, kind of middle of the road exit in the playoffs. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, who's good, who's bad, and uh, maybe who I think is going to be there at the end. All right, Nick Rolovich uh, unceremoniously fired because he would not get his COVID shots, according to a mandate by the state of Washington and all its employees. And he has said nothing about this. And I think to me, that's been the most perplexing part about this is he, he just said, not going to get uh, vaccinated personal reasons that I'm not going to share with people. And <clears throat> I've gone the, the rounds about my emotions of this, like you're a dumb idiot, just get your shots and be done with it. You have this opportunity to coach this team. They've started to win football games. You've got all these players that you went in their homes and you talked to them about coming to Washington State. And they made a commitment to you. Their parents entrusted you with their, their, their child. Uh, a lot of people are counting on you. you you're a very well-known figure in the community as a football coach at a, at a major college university. And and you have a responsibility, you have a duty, you have an obligation that's not, uh, it's different than just being private Joe citizen. So why not just get the shots? Why not just do it? The, the science behind it has proven that it helps. I had a friend from high school literally a day ago who just passed away from COVID. And, he's, and he stood the same line, said, no, I'm not going to get the shot. I don't believe in it. Uh, I don't, I, and he, and he got COVID and it, it grabbed him quickly and he passed away from it and probably wouldn't have 
have had he had he been vaccinated. And so, you know, whatever your personal choice is and whatever your personal stance on it is, the science is proving out that um, <clears throat> that it's it's very, very helpful. I was recently in the hospital and had to actually have a, a medical procedure. And they had me go through COVID testing to make sure I didn't have COVID. And I asked, I said, you know, how is that going? And they said, we've had a massive surge, but it's people who are not vaccinated are the ones that are having issues. So clearly it's, it's better to be vaccinated, but for some reason, Nick Rolovich said no. And he was willing to walk away from millions of dollars. He was willing to um, kind of stand on a sword and die by that sword that I think most people wouldn't. You look at most of the, the teams in the Pac-12, I mean, they're almost, almost all of them are 100% vaccinated coaches and players. I know a very few that aren't. And as I've thought through this, and I've just said, you know, bonehead move, Nick Rolovich, you are, you know, what are you thinking? I mean, this is just, this is just unacceptable. It doesn't make any sense to me. And yet I've, I've found, in my life when someone is very um, quietly confident about their position, because that's what he's felt like to me. He's just, he hasn't changed from the very beginning. He, there's something in his mind that he, he, he's very passionate about and he's not said anything about it. And when you have a person like that, they must feel really confident in why they're standing on the ground that they're standing on. Now, a lot of people, myself included, is like, okay, you want to make a stand. You're in a public position here. You're, you have a public platform. Think of uh, Colin Kaepernick, who said, I'm, I'm, I'm not standing. I'm actually kneeling for something that I believe in. You don't have to agree with him, whatever. But his platform gave him a massive voice and it gave his awareness to certain things a lot of legs. And uh, it was able to do that because of the platform that he was on. So standing up, uh, actually people took notice. Now there's two sides to how people feel about it, but they all took notice regardless of what side you were on. So for me, the beef has always been, why don't you just say why you don't want the vaccination? What's wrong with that? Why can't you just go, look, this is it. And then I think people would go, oh yeah, I like that idea. I never thought about that. That, yeah, you've got a point. Or other people would say, Go get your vaccination. You don't have a point. Whatever it is, you, you're going to bring awareness to something. So now Nick Rolovich has been fired. And, and this is what actually, in my mind, I think came of all of this or why he's standing by this or why he's been so calm and confident about his position. And this is my speculation. Never talked to the man. I don't know what, what he's actually thinking. But I do know that there are certain things in our country that are, are highly valued and protected. And that's uh, your health 
information. And, 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 there, and there are serious penalties, serious violations and serious measures taken to ensure your personal health and where it stands. And that's what I think Nick Rolovich is actually standing on. He's saying, I have protections about my personal health that are nobody's business. And they're nobody's business unless I give it uh, them permission to make it their business. And I think that's where he's standing. And I think he feels like um, that, that, that this whole ability to uh, fire a person or demand certain things about their health uh, that uh, is private information and is protected, that I think he thinks, I think that's what he's standing on. And I think in order for, in order for it to happen, in order for his, what he's standing for to happen, he needed to get fired. Because otherwise he's in this, this different position. And so I think he was like, uh, you know, I'm okay if I get fired. In fact, he may say it's even better if I do get fired. And I'm willing to get fired because my medical information is sacred, private, and my business, and nobody else's. So now he's filed this lawsuit, and I think that's what this is all about. Now, you know what? Nick Rolovich has a great point. And I think it's one of those unintended consequences, or I don't think people totally thought through what, what would happen if you started demanding people get vaccinations in order to have employment or in order to work or in order to do these things, or that you were actually reaching into people's personal life and going, okay, have you been vaccinated? Have you not been vaccinated? We need to know. And if you haven't given your permission for them to know, is that a violation? And, and you know what? He may be right. And I, I hadn't thought about that. Now, if I was in his situation, you know, still being a football coach and still having that kind of impact would be more important to me. But our personal privacy and our, our, our personal health and, and things that shouldn't be public knowledge should be fought for. And quite frankly, I could see his point if that is his point. And that certainly would make a lot of sense to me. I just don't understand why he wouldn't bring it up unless he felt like, okay, I'm better off. I'm making a bigger statement if I get fired. That takes a lot of uh, conviction. And it also takes, you know, a, a lot of guts to, to give up all of what he's probably giving up. Now, does he give up his coaching career if he's actually right? No. Uh, how could you? Uh, because you could say, you know, you were, you were basically discriminated against because you wanted your health records held private. You know, that I'd hate to be in that situation of someone who didn't hire him for whatever reason. And maybe you might go, maybe I should hire this guy because he stands on his principles. Because it's, it, it's another debate about what happens moving forward with the career of Nick Rolovich as coach. I don't know. I just thought of this the other day and thought it was a fascinating kind of angle or, or insight that maybe we hadn't really thought about 
uh, with, with Nick Rolovich and his decision to um, basically get fired at Washington State. All right, guess what, folks? The NFL is in full swing, and thank goodness for that, right? Because we love the NFL. I know I do. Uh, we're going to talk about the trade deadline and what the heck does that mean as a player? I'll tell you when we come back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Okay, folks, welcome back. Uh, This is Helmets Off. My name is Scott Mitchell. Of course, I'm the host. Thank you for tuning in. Clearly, you... you, uh, you like this or you would not be tuning in and I appreciate it. Um, please feel free to share any comments, thoughts, questions, even segment topics or ideas that you'd like to know from me about uh, things. I'm, I'm happy to share my insight, my experience, my perspective on whatever with, uh, with you. So I'm always happy to do that and talk, I, you know, I think this is all interesting stuff. At least it's interesting to me. This is how my mind works. This is what I think. And, and you're getting that insight from, from me. Uh, the NFL has a trade deadline, uh, kind of midway part uh, uh, through the season. Not a whole lot really happens uh, in the NFL trade deadline. Uh, a lot of free agency kind of changes some of that. The, the trade deadline is certainly something that has been maybe diminished um over time and so the question was brought to me um like like did you ever worry about this like getting traded from one team to another in the middle of a season and 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 was it stressful was it you know was it was it you know a concern and the the answer quite frankly is no no it wasn't ever a concern no i never thought about it and no, um, I never stressed about it. Now that was me. Uh, there, there may be other players uh, that that maybe this is this is something uh, you deal with. And it, I think the whole idea of the precarious nature of just being on an NFL team as a player, and how short-sighted and fleeting that can be, whether it's a trade deadline, or whether it's um, getting cut by a team or the practice squad or or you know the team just goes yeah you don't fit in our plans anymore uh, and i've been in those situations i i was my last year in detroit was like that it was it's awful it's awful to be a part of a team and know that you have 14 games left in the season and you're basically a lame duck and you're just there and they could try to trade you in the middle of the season and they, they the lions elected not to uh, they did at the end of the year uh, but there, there are situations that come up where, you know, there's a there's a massive need with a team, and you know, teams just are a little reluctant to to trade players, but they're not reluctant to go into practice squads and say, so if you're you're an active player on a practice squad for a team, 
uh, an active practice squad player, you're you're accessible to anyone in the league to bring you onto their active roster. So in doing your scouting and your due diligence as an organization, you track this. You track every player that's on any scout scout team. And really how it works, if you're interested, is teams will go, they'll go by position, all right? They'll go quarterback. And they'll list out every single team in the NFL, who the quarterbacks are, starter, backup, third guy, practice squad. And, and then they'll have they'll have um, the guys that are out like Randall Cunningham back in the day was basically, he owned a, a tile company in Las Vegas and he was home doing tile and uh, the Minnesota Vikings said, hey, you wanna come play for us? And so they'll, they'll also rank in the order of, the, of, of who they think is the best player available who's not under contract as well. So you have, you have every team starters, backups, practice squad players, but also players out in, in the world who could potentially be available. So if your situation changes, which oftentimes happens in the NFL because of injuries and because rosters are so tightly, uh, monitored sorry about that uh that that they uh um they need to have a pool or a contingency plan in the event that something happens so they go quarterbacks injured we go to number two quarterback number one is out for the entire season so now we got to sign someone so who's the best possible player in our opinion that's available that we can sign and that's how they do it and so it's, it's this ever-moving board, right, that's happening in the NFL and in all of these scouting departments. And people, it's their full-time job to, to manage this and to be up-to-date on, on, on what's happening. And so looking for all possible avenues uh, for, for that to happen. So you're a player, and you're, you're, you're you know, how do, you, how do you create interest or viability? So my early years with the Miami Dolphins, when I was behind Dan Marino, I would look for any possible way, any, any moment, any uh, chance that I could expose myself uh, and what I was capable of to other teams that might have an interest. And I, I did something that people thought, oh, well, you're just going out warming up for the game. And I was like, no, I'm going out and auditioning. So before every uh, regular season game, when I was the backup quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, I would go out early and I would get with a wide receiver who wasn't really playing and we would go through the route tree. And so I basically was, I was throwing routes uh, to uh, a, a receiver knowing that coaches and personnel people, because they hang out on the sideline before a game, like they don't want to be sitting in a locker room or cooped up somewhere they want to get out on the field and get a feel for the air and there could be personnel people up in you know in in the in the booths or in the um you know wh wherever they might be in a stadium watching because they all watch and and it's clearly if a player comes out on the field and starts throwing a football to a wide receiver it's gonna get people's attention 
And I purposely did it, hoping, I just hope maybe someone will see this and go, yeah, we want to we wanna pick you up. Uh, I went and played in the World League. I, I just, uh, and that was my choice. Uh, so it was trying to get someone to have an interest in you when you were stuck. And, and you know, and, and I, was, I was behind a really good player and I wasn't going to see the field. Uh, there, it just wasn't going to happen. And so I was hoping that someone would want to trade for me at that point in, in my career. And uh, I, um, you know, I just felt that that mindset of any possible rock I can lift up and look under, anything I could possibly do, that's what I was willing to do. And I was intentional about it. I thought about it. I wasn't just like, yeah, okay, I'm here and I'm okay with this. And I wasn't. And it was that, that continued pursuit uh, to, to get noticed, to get an opportunity to find, because there are not very many of them and, and it, they're hard to come by. And the NFL at that time really owned my rights. I, I was not free to go anywhere. And the only possible way I could go somewhere was to get traded. That was it, plain and simple. So. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that kind of go through your mind as a player, not only just with the trade deadline, but kind of where you are, you're a practice squad player, you're a backup, you're a starter. You're always looking to make sure you keep yourself there or you maximize your opportunity as much as you possibly can. There's a, there's a window. I'm an NFL player from this point to this point in my life. And once that window's gone, unless you're Tom Brady and you just keep playing forever, but everyone doesn't do that. Most people don't. I mean, it's that he's just a massive like anomaly. You kind of have to throw out. You, you can't use Tom Brady as a model. And you've got to find a way to maximize your time, your experience, and what you can get out of it. All right, we're going to take a final break here. And of course, the NBA season is upon us. And my beloved Jazz are on their way to a perfect season. So far, they have not lost a single game. They're 1-0. Will they go 82-0? We'll find out when we come back. Hey, folks. Welcome back. It is Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell here, of course. Uh, appreciate your patronage and uh, love your feedback. So you can go to uh, at the Helmets Off podcast on Facebook at the Helmets Off Show on Twitter. Give me your thoughts, comments, feelings, feedback. Love to hear from you. Uh, the NBA uh, started, and of course, a lot of really fun, exciting players uh, in the NBA. A lot of players really starting to emerge and develop and become kind of that next generation. Of course, you would say recently everything went through LeBron James, and then you'd say kind of went through Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Uh, last year, it went through Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, so you're like, a uh, lot, of, lot of awesome players. Where is it headed now? Is it still the Bucks' chance to be king of the mountain? Clearly, folks are going to be gunning for the Bucks. You know, they're going to get everyone's best shot this year. And I think, you know, early on, it looks like they're still a really good team. They... They have something that they didn't have a year ago, and that's an understanding and a sure knowledge of how to win a championship. They know how to do it now. They've done it. And they now, uh, a lot of things they go, 
maybe in the past they thought were important aren't because you go yeah we don't really need to do that because that's not really going to help us but this this is what really got us to the championship so you're not wasting uh time going down a rabbit hole or you're not wasting energy or focus or manpower or a thought really on things that are irrelevant and you you know single-mindedly what it takes to win a championship and that and that's the advantage someone like lebron james has kevin durant Steph Curry, uh, Kyrie, or, you know, not Ky um, Kawhi Leonard, some of these guys that have, have won these championships, they get it, they know. And, but then your teams like the Denver Nuggets or the, the, the Phoenix uh, Suns or the Utah Jazz, or, and they're still trying to figure that out. Do we have enough pieces? Do we, do we get this? Do we, do, we really, um, do we really know how to do this? Are we capable of doing this? Do we believe we can do this? And, and so until you have that, like you did it, you have that sure knowledge, you're, all, you're just trying to figure it out and figure out how to do it and, and figure out where to focus all your energy and your time. And so on the one hand for the Bucks, it's like, okay, we've got, you know, we've got this dialed in, we know what to do. They also haven't dealt with well, now everybody's gunning for us. And you hear teams that win championships and they go, number the second one, trying to repeat, a thousand times harder than actually winning a championship. Regardless, they still know where to focus their, their energies on. And these other teams, you know, right now it's like, well, um, we got to figure it out. And I think that's what a lot of teams are doing. You know, did the Lakers in getting Russell Westbrook figure it out. I mean, that was the, up, that was the upgrade to the Lakers. So they got older uh, and they got a player very similar to what they have. And, 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 and what is it that these players are? They're drive to the basket players, right? Uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, he's not a three point shooter. LeBron James, you know, shoots it fine, but he's really a slash to the basket kind of player. And they need guys that can shoot. And they need guys that can consistently knock down those shots uh, when they when when they take away the drive to the basket. And that'll be interesting to see if that happens. And you can never count out LeBron James ever. As long as he's playing, he just can't count him out. And, you know, the Golden State Warriors are going to be better. The Brooklyn Nets are going to be a better team, you know, I think. I mean, I mean, Kyrie Irving, you're just scratching your head going, I don't know what he's doing, where he's at. And, and that chemistry and that continuity uh, doesn't necessarily equate to the very, very best team or talent in the NBA or anywhere for that matter. Uh, having that great chemistry. I mean, Golden State, when they were winning championships, they had a chemistry about themselves. They had it dialed in about who they were and what they were capable of and what they did. And, they, and everybody understood it. Uh, you, you have all this talent with the Brooklyn Nets, and it just doesn't feel like they have that chemistry. It still feels like there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of, um, I'm the biggest, most important part of this puzzle, and the rest of you just need to kind of work around me. And, and I think there's a lot of people in that building that, that feel that way because the continuity just doesn't, doesn't feel there. But then you still have age, and age is playing a factor in, in some of these teams. But then you got these young teams, like for the most part, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they, they I mean, you talk about the Phoenix rising out of the ashes of, of obscurity. What a, what a symbolic 
meaning that the, the Phoenix Suns represents because that's what happened to them. I mean, they were dead last to dead first in playing in an NBA finals. And that, that cuts both ways because the next year, maybe there's a hangover from it and you just don't have the same year. They lost in the, their opening game against Denver. Denver is going to be a better team. Uh, and then it brings me to the Utah Jazz, who they said, we're, we're doubling down, right? We're holding Pat. Um, we think we've got a great hand here. And we're going to see what, you know, what the dealer gives us and flips over in the next, you know, the next four or five months of, of the regular season. And so I think the Jazz play better when they have that continuity. They're, they're a chemistry-driven team. They're a team-oriented team. They're uh, an unselfish team. And so having that trust with the guys on your team to buy into that kind of philosophy I, I don't think you want to have wholesale changes with the Jazz in order for them to be competitive this year. You had three all-stars from a year ago. You have Rudy Gobert that looks like he's going to be better than he has been. Donovan Mitchell has gotten better every year that he's been in the NBA. And you have a guy that's figured out how to, how to play uh, in the Utah Jazz system and has bought into it. And in uh, Mike Connolly and, and uh, those three guys were all-stars last year. And there's a massive, uh, supporting cast. I mean, two guys. Two guys were competing again for the sixth man. Either guy could have won it. Joe Ingles and and Jordan Clarkson from a year ago. And and then there, there's some there's some supplementary players that will help the Jazz be better um, defensively than than maybe they have been. So, um, really really exciting uh, things are going to happen in the NBA. Uh, and you know you have the Knicks who really kind of were a cellar dweller, but it looks like they might might actually be uh, be a team. Here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? Here's my prediction. I say the Utah Jazz are going to play the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals this year. And it may be a homer pick, but the Jazz had the best record a year ago. They were close. They had injuries late with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Connolly against uh, the Clippers. They've improved some of the weaknesses that they've had on a team. It looks like the, the pickups that they've got, these role players, these support players, could really, could really bump the Jazz uh, over the top. And I think they're a team that believes. So, uh, well, you know what? My doorbell's ringing, so I got to go. Helmets off is now off. Uh, until then, we'll see you then. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. 
You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.